0: Hello. Okay, snowball's checked. Great, are you ready? And the sound is good. The sound
1: is very good. Good. All right, ready? I'm ready as they go. All right, three, two, music. what'd you say? Use the music. Ah, yes, way to interrupt the countdown. <laughs> we are back. For episode three of Dad Remembers Sports, I'm your host, Grant Tunkel, and I am joined today by the man himself, the namesake, my dad. Dad, how are you? Doing well, my man. How are you? I'm doing okay. It is the Sunday before Labor Day 2020 when we are recording this. Uh, Labor Day. You know what? It all feels the same to me. Memorial Day 2020. Uh, Dad... Do you know what year it is, what day of the week it is, what time of day it is? Well, it's a date it ends in a Y, that's for sure. Wow, well, good uh, point. As far as the week, does it really matter when you're retired? Fair enough, fair enough, it's a good point. You probably haven't looked at a calendar in, uh, in about four years. That's correct. You're what, 25 years old now, 27? Do you go backwards after you retire? Well, that's what my father did. He started at my age, he was now 31. He was hoping to get to zero. He didn't quite get there. Didn't quite get there. Fair enough. Well, we will keep chugging along here for episode three of Dad Remembers Sports. And we begin with the first of our three segments. And this one is What Did Dad Get Wrong? where we look back at the previous episode and discuss. What did dad get wrong? And again, for the second straight week, sadly, I have nothing to fact check you on. You were basically spot on. How does it feel to actually remember things from the past? Who you? Exactly. There were a few things I wanted to uh, to flag that I thought were interesting. Uh, First, when you were talking about becoming a Knicks fan, you mentioned there was no New Jersey team and you called them the New Jersey Americans and I was chomping at the bit to fact check you on that. But as always, you were right. Uh, they were the New Jersey Americans from one season, 1967-68. Then they became the New York Nets. Do you remember who the coach of the New Jersey Americans was? No, that, that, now you stumped me. Max Zaslavsky. Oh, right. The former St. John's coach. The leading scorers for that team were Tony Jackson. I don't know who that is. I think he went to St. John's, if I recall. Sure. Uh, Laverne Tart. Laverne Tart was a god. Who's flashy. And the seventh leading scorer was the only name I recognized. Want to take a stab? Was it the Whopper Billy Bolt? No, it was Art
0: Heyman. Art Heyman from Rockville Center, who went to Oceanside High School, where you went. That's correct. I, that's why I recognize the Art name. Duke, great, and he played for the New York Knicks. He correct. sat on the bench. He sat on the bench with um, Kramer who played with NYU at that point. Uh, he played in some of those really bad nick teams, and I believe
1: Harry Gallatin was the coach of those nick teams. And you could fact check that one as well. We'll, we'll keep that for next week's episode. There's one other thing I did want to mention. Uh, well, actually, actually a few things, but we'll get there. Uh, you did one get second, one. One second, one second. It was Dr. Barry Kraber. Oh, well, excuse me. My apologies. Uh, you actually did get one thing wrong. I should mention that. Uh, the Celtics did not win 11 straight NBA championships. It just seemed that way. They did win 11 total they actually won 8 straight from 1959 to 1966. A few other things I want to uh, I want to bring up from last week's episode. I told you I would pull up an inflation calculator for the cost of your game 7 tickets and uh, a couple of different calculators reference the price point in 2020 dollars anywhere from $165.20 to $166.49, which still seems low for Game 7 of the NBA Finals.
0: You could probably get a hot
1: dog in the arena for that price today. Yeah, right. Maybe a couple beers if you're lucky. I'm talking uh, about the $165 price. I'm not talking about the $25 price. No, I understand. Uh, a couple other things. You were correct. Les Kider was on wins. Uh, the AFL did have a two-point conversion. And in fact, I didn't realize this. Uh, It wasn't adopted officially in the NFL until the early 1990s. And finally, one thing I do want to bring up in our discussion about the signing of Joe Namath, where you said that it was mythology that he was signed under the goalposts after the Orange Bowl by Sonny Werblin. Uh, I didn't actually do any deep fact-checking of this, but I did find in the December 31st, 1964 New York Times, a writer by the name of Allison Danzig, writing from Miami. She wrote, Alabama was heartened by the appearance of Namath on the practice field at the Miami baseball stadium today. The renowned quarterback is expected to be signed by the New York Jets after the game Friday evening, possibly by the Jets president, Sonny Werblin, under the goalposts.
0: And also understood when Sonny took over the Jets, he was a marketing whiz and a and it real understood how to market the game, which is what the AFL had needed. And the late, great Howard Cosell, who always had nicknames for people, called him Sonny, as in money, Wordwood.
1: <laughs> it's unclear if he actually doled out the money to Namath underneath those Orange Bowl goal posts, uh, goal posts but he did, uh, it was at least referenced in the New York Times uh, in advance of the game. Do you know how much that contract was for? Go ahead. I think it was 424,000
0: or 407,000 or something, that number, I don't recall, but I remember
1: 400 was the number. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. You've been wrong before, but not on this podcast, really. Uh, that's correct. And, and one last note about that uh, that Orange Bowl game. This is from the 2009-2010 uh, USA Today College Football Encyclopedia. Something I didn't realize, that was one of the first primetime telecast sporting events of all time. Uh, the book writes, NBC's primetime telecast attracted 40 million viewers and changed the course of TV sports. Wow. It also notes that uh, Texas beat Alabama 21-17 with Namath presumably injured coming off the bench to lead a comeback. And he was apparently stopped short on fourth down on a QB sneak. And he said later, quote, I'll go to my grave knowing I scored a touchdown on that. I guess if we had replay, we'd find that out. Of course, you were at the game that uh,
0: you like to claim brought back replay. Yes, the Seattle Seattle, um, Seahawks. Uh, Dennis Erickson was the coach and he got fired after the season. Uh, Seattle would have made the playoffs. Vinny's helmet made the end zone. Vinny Testaverde's helmet made the end zone. The ball never did,
1: but the Jets survived in advance. I remember watching that game in grandma and grandpa's old apartment in uh, Forest Hills. It was a family circle day, so there were a lot of family members over. Because I think that was a 97 or 98 season maybe. And yeah, you were at the game with your brother, but I was not. And I was watching that with aunts and uncles and cousins, and I I remember being a little confused, but you were very excited uh, by what had transpired. So there we have it. Dad remembers sports, episode three, fact check of episode two. And now on to the second segment, where I go ahead and ask you a couple questions that I wish I had in the previous episode. I still don't have a title for this. So uh, for our listeners out there, or for you, Dad, if you come up with something clever, please let me know. I'll try. So the first question is, did you ever get to Ebbets
0: Field? Legend has it I did. I don't recall because the Giants moved out in 57. Giants and Dodgers moved out in 57. I would have been in that six-year-old range. My father had told me we had gone to the pole grounds because he was a Giant fan, but too young to remember that. I remember watching TV games from Ebbets Field because they had, can't remember his name, there was something after the game Campy's Corner or somebody's corner—I can't remember the actual name of it—where well, they did plays and and showed you how to how to do things. I can't remember the name now, but it'll come to me eventually. I assume your father
1: went to uh, went to uh, Ebbets Field quite often.
0: He, uh, not Ebbets Field. He went to um, Polo Grounds because uh, he was a giant fan, as I as I told you in the first. And my aunt, uh, his sister, had worked in the garment industry, and she was a
1: top buyer. She got tickets from people all the time. So my father went a lot of times for free. And I guess the follow-up question is, did you give any thought to who your second favorite baseball player of all time was? It would probably be Tom Seaver of the Mets.
0: Um, truly one of the great pitchers in the history of the game and the franchise. And uh, that's why when you think of Seaver as a franchise, Mays obviously was the franchise. And when you come back to our beloved Jets, Joe sure Namath was the franchise. So, you know, it's hard not to root for guys who were known as the franchise.
1: That's true. That's true. And, of course, you and I were uh, texting last night uh, as we were watching game six of the 1986 World Series being replayed on SNY. And, and you and I both had forgotten that Tom Seaver was actually on the Red Sox that year. Yes, yeah, so I think it was the seventh
0: or eighth inning they showed, the, uh, maybe it was the eighth inning they showed the uh, Red Sox dugout. And it
1: was Tom Seaver. And I go, wow, I forgot about that. So that had to be the end of his career at that point. Really incredible how uh, players' careers come full circle like that. One of the little nuggets I always like, not really related to Siever per se, but is the fact that the final out of the 1969 World Series that the Mets obviously beat the Orioles in was made by Davey Johnson playing for Baltimore, and then he was the manager of the Mets in 86. Cleon, one knee. That's correct. That is correct. So there you have it, the uh, as-yet-unnamed questions I wish I'd asked you in the previous episode. So we went over what you got wrong, which really wasn't much. We went over what I wanted to ask you, which again, uh, you managed to answer gracefully on the fly, so I appreciate that. Uh, So now for today's episode of Dad Remembers Sports, I wanna take it in a slightly different direction, not necessarily a game that you attended, or that you watched on TV or listened to on the radio, but I wanna talk about your playing days because as a small child growing up in the Bronx and growing up in New York, you, you played your fair share of, of Little League baseball. You, you have some uh, stories of playing rough touch football and we'll get to that and I'm sure you played a lot of schoolyard basketball, but let's start with Little League baseball. There's a, there's a picture of you that I love that hangs in, in the house of you as a little kid uh, and I believe you were the bat boy on your brother's team. Can you give me and give the listeners a little background on that photo? That's correct. My brother was playing Little League Baseball and the sponsor of the Little League Baseball in Forest Hills was Michael C.
0: Fina, one of the classy, um, classy businesses around. I don't know if they're still around or who knows with this pandemic. And since it was really just me, my father, my brother, I was always around and, um, I they gave I got this little uniform made, I don't remember who made it, my father got it bought or whatever, and I was the bat boy for that team. And um, those were fun days, playing Little League ball up at Forest
1: Hills on Fleet Street. Do you remember how that team uh, that your brother was on performed with you as the bat boy? They did or- not win a championship, I did later on. All right, we'll, we'll get to that, we'll but get to that. Two of them, two of them. Oh, look at you, a winner, a real winner. One was in Pony League. Okay, before we move on though, has it ever dawned on you that that picture has you wearing a uniform that says Fina, and your daughter, my sister, wrote for the show Hentified on Netflix, where the central uh, sort of building in the show is Mama Fina's? No, that's that's quite interesting. I think you should bring that up to Jamie uh, after the show. Absolutely. In fact. Before we move on briefly, I actually referenced Jamie in last week's episode and provided absolutely no context whatsoever. So from here on out, if I refer to Jamie, you can assume I'm referring to your daughter, my sister. After you graduate from being the Bat Boy, what was Little League Baseball like back then? Do you remember who your teammates were? Do you remember, you know, games that you played in specifically? Tell us a little bit about about your history of playing Little League ball.
0: Well... Eight years old was, they didn't have anything called t-ball in those days, because t-ball was not invented, nor did anybody care. Um, <laughs> and I remember there was no such thing as manager pitch, and it was players pitched. So eight-year-olds, as you know, really just run around and nothing gets accomplished. My father was the manager of the eight, nine, and 10-year-old team. And it was rough being uh, the son of the father, because he treated me he treated me rough because he didn't want to go overboard to treat me nicely. So at the end of 10 years old, he said to me, I think you should play for another manager. Now, if you go to, uh, Hawking back to Fleet Street, there was a field on the main level, then later they built a higher level field above left field up on a hill, and then on a third field in the back was also built on a hill. My father continued managing another team in another league, but What happened was amazingly or interestingly enough, a lot of times he would be on the second field when I was on the first field. And he would, somebody would stop him and then he would turn to watch me play. My 11 year old and 12 year old team were excellent teams. We won the championship in in our 12 year old team. And I remember Richie Shane and Burt Moss and guys like that, because Richie Shane's father was the manager of our team. And he taught us a lot of fundamentals. He taught us how to slide. He taught us how to take extra bases. Um, The interesting tidbit, I was a catcher on the, the, I guess, the 11-year-old team and the 12-year-old team. And in those days, you had to wear a protective cup. And before the game, the umpire would take both catches around into the, not woods, but behind the dugout where nobody could see. And he would uh, take a baseball bat and tap you there to make sure there was a cup. That's bizarre. It was well, you gotta remember this is nineteen fifty-nine. And if you didn't wear a cup, you clearly would tell him in advance that you weren't wearing one because you did not want to get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds terrible. I remember catching a game when it was 95 degrees and the game went extra innings and I you know, wasn't like I was a big kid. I lost a lot of weight that day, you know, water weight. It was uh it was tough because the equipment you didn't have You had wool jerseys. You didn't have these tear away, you know, high tech, you know, dry fit jerseys. I mean these were wool, heavy duty wool with heavy duty wool socks. It was hot and the equipment was much heavier, you know, the shin pads and stuff like that. You didn't have knee protectors. It was it was a different era, as they say.
1: So it seems, I remember you scoffing when uh, I played Little League ball and and I was playing catcher and and they had just sort of come out with those knee savers, those extra pads you would put on the back of your shin guards to sort of uh, sit on when you were in in the crouch. And I remember you, you more or less telling me to, uh, to grow up and and to suck it up like you did. Did you have a a special catcher's mitt back in those days? Yes, I did. Yes,
0: I did. The team provided one, but I remember buying one and as you probably did, as I remember you did, you know put oil into the middle of the glove, you put a ball in it, you tie it up in string so you can get yourself a good pocket. We had a pitcher in my 12 my year old team that, could, that was the hardest thrower. So I had to put a sponge in between because he really threw hard. We were unbeatable that year. We, we were clearly unbeatable. I think somewhere in the albums, not albums, but in pictures somewhere, you'll see me collecting the trophy. Uh, my father took a picture of me collecting the, uh, the championship trophy.
1: Where did you buy your glove? Because when I was a kid, I remember you would take me to Modells, and we would try out some gloves, and I was just, I was just, I would fall in love with a new glove. It was, it was such an incredible it was, experience.
0: It was probably Modells because they were the only game in town. You didn't have, you know, Dick's Sporting Goods. You didn't have any of that, so it was probably Modells, as I recall. Was it probably a Rawlings glove too? It could have been a Spalding. I don't remember. Could have been Rawlings. Could have been Spalding. And you wore cleats as opposed to sneakers. Well, I
1: wore cleats when I played,
0: well, but rubber, you, rubber spikes. Rubber spikes. Well, you you probably wore metal spikes though. No, you couldn't wear. Me- I don't believe you could wear metal in Little League. But we
1: wore uh, we wore metal in Pony League. Okay. Was your bat? Was it a wood bat also? Because or, I all ima- wood. Or I, ima- I imagine uh, composite bats, like the ones that I played with as a little kid, didn't exist.
0: No, it was all wood bats, and no one owned their own bat. It was all
1: league supplied. Did you ever break a bat, fouling off a pitch or anything like that? Don't recall, actually. Don't recall. I'd be interested to see, I'm sure, like, at 9, 10 years old, you guys weren't exactly throwing 100 miles an hour. I wonder if you could break a bat at the speeds those pitchers were coming in.
0: Well, understand, what is it, 45 feet from home, from pitcher to catcher, I think, in Little League? I think so. So if you do the math, like if you watch Little League World Series, if you throw 60 miles an hour, it's, it's basically uh, equivalent to 90 miles an hour. And like I said, in... When I was 12 years old, our pitcher was the hardest thrower in the league. And I'll never forget, my, my left palm was always hurting after a game because he would throw really hard, really hard.
1: What were you like defensively behind the dish? I was
0: pretty good. I was very chatty. Uh, batters hated me. Other coaches hated me. because Nobody's uh, nobody surprised by that. I wouldn't shut up. And, um, you know, and even the umpire every once in a while said, we could tone it down every once in a while. I said we could, but I'm not going to do it.
1: I'm sure in the future we'll, we'll uh, devote an episode to your prowess as a Little League coach when I was a kid. So we'll oh. save some of those. I know, I know. We'll save some of those stories uh, for a future episode. Uh, what were you like as a hitter? Because I, as a hitter, personally, I was pretty bad. I was not a very good offensive player. But I want to know if that's your fault. I, no, I was a decent hitter, not a great hitter. I was a decent hitter. I do remember having hit a couple of
0: home runs over the fence when I was, when I was 12 years old. I was a decent hitter. So uh, I think I batted the top five somewhere in the lineup.
1: Wasn't great, but I was good. Did you guys have uh, baseball cards made up like we did when we were kids? No, no trophies for participating. Uh, I knew we would get there. So when I was a kid and we had those baseball cards made up, I always, or they always asked you, uh, who is your favorite baseball player and who would you like to emulate? And I always put Ken Griffey Jr. on the back of my card. W- would it have been Willie Mays on the back of yours? Unquestionably. Who was your favorite catcher, though? Willie, obviously, was an outfielder. Didn't have a favorite catcher. You know, the only catchers that come to mind, were obviously,
0: were either Yogi or Elston Howard. On, on the Elston ended up on the Yankees. Other than that, there was no favorite catcher. Not Roy Campanella? Now, Roy really had a, sh- I think Roy was already injured by that by that time. I think 56, 57, he'd had the accident on the Seaford Oyster Bay. So uh, it was probably uh, in, in that era. And you can fact check the year on that one. I know you will. But um, that's my recollection. You couldn't root for the Dodgers because we grew up in an era where Dodger fans hated Giant fans, Giant fans hated Dodger fans, and Giant Dodger fans hated Yankee fans. So you could not even think about rooting for Sandy Koufax or whatever because that would just be a disaster.
1: Well, Giant fans still hate Dodger fans, and Dodger fans still hate Giant fans, but I don't think they share the same hatred of the Yankees anymore. You do win a championship as a Little League player, and then you graduated to Pony League. Was that when the bases moved to 90 feet? Pony League, the bases moved to 75 feet. Oh, okay.
0: 75. Pitching mound went back to 60, and you could steal bases. Um, It was like a regular baseball game, a regular baseball And that year, my first year, was my favorite year of all time. We went 1-14. in 14. We were horrible. But we had a lot of fun. You know, if we struck a guy out, and I was playing catcher, and I threw the ball in the third, invariably the ball never made it around the infield. <laughs> but it was the most fun we had. The following year, we went undefeated. And it was a miserable year, other than winning the championship, because there was too much pressure to win. We had fun losing. We were happy losers. manager wasn't happy, but we had a lot of fun on the field. Do you remember any of the guys that were on those teams? No, no. Some of the guys, like Richie Shane, continued on. His father was a coach in those years. Um, Burt Moss continued on. It
1: escapes me at this point. I probably won't be able to fact check you on that either, because I I doubt records of of your, you know, thirteen and fourteen year old Pony League exist on the internet. So, when did you stop playing ball? What was uh, What was that like? Well, I,
0: other things came, you know, other things started to happen, so we stopped playing. And then you played schoolyard stuff, stickball, box baseball, all kinds of uh, games that you would make up. What is box baseball? Ah, box baseball. What a, it's a game that two guys could play on concrete. Think of your, uh, your walkway in the front. You had three boxes, and you would pitch underhanded, but with a soft ball, with a soft pency pinky or a Spalding and you would try to squeeze the ball. You couldn't throw it. So you had to release it with your, with your fingers. So you would squeeze it in with your fingers and let it go. You could put spin on it. You could put um, reverse spin on it. You could put a stopper in it. So the concept was, there were three squares. You stood behind one. The other guy stood behind the third one. The middle one was, was out of bounds, basically. So what you did was you would pitch it into the square of that where he was standing over he would have to slap it into the square that you involved. Now, if it, bounced, if it bounced and you caught it, it was out. If it bounced once, sorry, it was a single. If it bounced twice, it was a double, and you, you could follow the rest. Um, if you hit it into the middle square, that was an out. Or if you hit it, obviously, a pop-up and you caught it, that was an out. What you tried to do as a pitcher was get the softest ball possible so you could squeeze it to put the most spin on it. People cheated, so we would have, we would work the balls at night to pitch those games. So you had stoppers, and then stoppers became too dangerous. Uh, not dangerous, it became too easy if you could throw it and stop it, because you couldn't go into the box. You had to keep your feet behind the box, you couldn't straddle the box, you had to stay behind. So you'd only have one stopper per inning. And you played nine inning games, and that was a game that would be played all hours of the day, could be played at night, under, under a streetlight. That was a great game
1: and you you never taught me box ball but you did teach me stoop ball which i always loved yeah, stoop ball was another one where you bat, as you know you, you hit the ball off the
0: corner and if it bounced it caught in the air was an out and then if it kept bouncing single double triple home run
1: i remember how devastated i was when when we redid the steps in front of our house and instead of having that sharp edge that was great for stoop ball it had those rounded edges uh, and that was the, basically the end of our stoop ball playing. And I, I remember how upset I was when, when uh, I'll blame mom, but I'm sure okay. it was. Un, un, unquestionably, it's mom's fault. For sure. And then, of course, stickball uh, was another sport that you always used to talk about playing growing up in the Bronx.
0: Well, stickball stick was a game that you could play with either one other guy. You could play with eight other guys. You could do it all. You could pitch against the wall and you drew a square. Of course, the square didn't always fit everybody's size, so strikes strikes, and balls were always an issue. And with chalk, you colored it in with chalk. So if there was an argument over the calling the balls and strikes, because the pitcher called it and the batter obviously didn't, you would show the chalk mark that it was in the box. So you could play it that way and behind you, depending on whether there was a low fence or high fence, you could have single, double, triple, home run. We also, in the schoolyard, could play with eight, nine guys and play pitching. You could pitch it in and play running bases and do everything. You could do it with four guys, and you had to hit to the left side of the field if you're right-handed or the right side of the field if you're left-handed. So it was a game that could be played with as little as two people and as many as 18.
1: We used to play stickball when I was in uh, middle school and high school. And I remember uh, the summer I spent on Cape Cod, I guess that was uh, summer after junior year of college. Uh, we went to the Barnstable Bat Company, which is a famous bat maker out there. And I bought a stickball bat. And I think it's still in the garage because I was, I was just so excited to have that, to have yeah, that, that to uh, play and with.
0: And nowadays they didn't have stickball bats. You took a broom handle, cut it down to a size, put electrical tape around the bottom of it to, so, it would be the batting, you know, you could, you could hold on to the bat because otherwise it would be slippery. And that's, that's, that's what we did. I think later on, when we all became a little more affluent and manufacturers made stickball bats, you buy a stickball bat with different sizes. Did you ever break any uh, car or apartment windows playing stickball? No, because a lot of those times we played in the schoolyard. Um, we did play occasionally, like what my father's age was, where you played in the street where home plate would be the manhole cover, second base would be the next manhole cover, and somewhere you would decide which end of the car was first base and third base. So that was the classic stick ball from the Willie Mays era and the, and the years gone by, and you could look up the Willie Mays era of playing stickball. Uh, but we were more playing in the schoolyards at that point, as opposed to playing, you know, in the street. Nice. So playing, in the street playing in the street in my time was a little more dangerous because cars were constantly coming. Uh, and now it would be impossible because there's just too many cars on the road.
1: Well, now would actually be not that impossible because there are, right. there are no cars on the road. But I, I, think, I think we have said enough about that. Real quick before we, before we get to the end here. Of course, baseball wasn't the only sport you played as a kid. You played something called rough touch football. Do you want to explain exactly what that was? It was really more in, my, in the high school years where you played rough touch. You could block.
0: You can't tackle. Okay, you can block and push people, but you couldn't tackle somebody because most of the times it was played on concrete. Uh, You could ask one of my friends, Artie, we love to play offensive line. And the answer for that was we love to block. We love to we love to we just love to block somebody and pound somebody. So we'd come back to the huddle all the time. And our quarterback was a guy named Larry Swedrow. And we always say, Larry, let's call a running play, sweep right. And he says, No, we'll get a pass. I said, No, we want to take somebody out. You know, um, so we like to play that and defensive line. because it was it was contact. So you would you would hit a guy, and you you know you you'd give him a love tap. You wouldn't tackle him. I broke a collarbone somewhere in, uh, when I was 18 years old, and
1: from rough touch. But accidents happened. Were you playing people who were five years younger than you because you're not a big guy? How, how could you possibly have been an effective blocker? Most people did not want to get hit. I had no problem inflicting it. Somehow, I, I find I find that this to me this story sounds a little embellished. No,
0: nope, you can you can call up Audi and uh, and uh, you can get that answer. We love to ask Audie. He'll tell you. I used to yell power sweep every play.
1: Were you uh, the Ron Yarrow type offensive lineman? Uh, it was probably Conrad Dobler. I have no idea who that is. You can look that one up. I probably will. All right. So before we sign off, last sport I wanted to cover uh, was your basketball days. Now, basketball, I always talk about, me personally, is the only sport I can't even make up that I have any ability. And I'm, I'm a terrible basketball player. I'm not good at dribbling. I'm not good at shooting. I'm not good at defending. So, so where, where is that disconnect? Because you used to love playing ball.
0: Well, basket. I don't know where the disconnect was. We played a lot of the schoolyard basketball. I was the uh, five-seven Will Chamberlain, because I used to do the fadeaway, and that was a, where you put the leg up in the air and people were not very happy. I would do the turnaround fadeaway shot. Steve, I would always boxed out because most guys just would go for rebounds. I learned from watching Dave DeBusher. He was one of the great rebounders, and he boxed his guy out. So if you got in between ball, you know, man and, man and basket, Invariably, it would be hard to jump over somebody to get a rebound. So if you put you, you know that that was part of the game. If you watched even uh, some of the last dance, I think there's an allusion to being boxing somebody out. by you know, Michael would tell, yell at somebody, you got to box the guy out. And Phil would talk about that. Uh, a lot of a lot of athletes just want feel they can jump over anybody. Um, you can ask my friend Kenny. I intimidated him, and he was twice my size, literally on there all around. And I uh, would just you know, constantly calling Roberto Duran the hands of stone because I would just mock him every time he'd get the ball and he would hurt himself. You know, he, he couldn't hold the ball well. I could palm the basketball too. You do, you do have big hands. That's fair. So I was able to palm the basketball and, and do the Will Chamberlain whirlybird move, which intimidated people. I wasn't a great player, but I, I, I love to uh, play, play the game. I love to rebound.
1: Well, I can't think of a better place to end this podcast than by you considering yourself the five foot seven inch Wilt Chamberlain. I can assure you, I can assure you that I will not be referring to you as five seven Wilt uh, at any point moving forward. Okay. Well, dad, thanks again for hopping on the Zoom call with me uh, and uh, you know taking a walk down yesteryear about your exploits as, uh, as a ball player as a kid. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Love you, dad.
0: Boy, love you too. Bye.